you have found your way back to us once again at the Rock Paper Bitcoin Podcast. Hello, friends. It's me, Business Cat. I'm so happy you found your way back to us once again. In this episode, my co-host Fundamentals goes deep about the signal he's been seeing in BlackRock's recent public change of attitude about Bitcoin. If you like the show, you can listen using an app like Fountain or any podcasting 2.0 app and stream us that's while you listen. If you're a Bitcoin miner and you're feeling generous, you can contribute a bit of your hash power to us using any Lincoin stratum address and our show's username, Rock Paper Bitcoin. I'll put the connection details in the show notes. And finally, dear listener, yes, you, you on the other side of this microphone, on the other side of the internet. Thank you for listening. We really, really appreciate it. It means a lot to us. Let's get into it. Good morning. Good morning. It's Saturday Um, again. I was just going to say, I doxed the time. Good morning. Everybody knows now. <laughs> yes, we do this on Saturday mornings where my HVAC doesn't go off, doesn't make the sound crappy. Well, there's always going to be background noises. My, my daughter's out in the other room right now, like banging the, on the piano and my wife's doing yoga. So there's, it's quite possible really? there's going to be noises in the background. I don't hear any of that. I will tell you, I, um, my meetup partner who's helping me with the Phoenix Film Meetup, we met at the, we met at the site yesterday. To talk to, um, to talk to the venue, just to mm. let them know, and just to make sure we, you know, they weren't hosting some wild convention that night. <laughs> um, but anyway, but the the point of bringing him up was he was, um, he was telling me that he has he can use, he's got some, um, either it's an app or something he built using AI that can filter out noise from you know. Filter out noise from a um, a recording that we may find undesirable. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. That, that would the be context useful. was the context was we recorded an entire episode where I spent half of it talking about this theory that he told me about, and I said we didn't publish it because the no, the sound was so horrible. Uh, <laughs> we, we, yeah, we listeners, we've we've had a few episodes that have not come out via for for a variety of reasons, audio issues and and others. Correct. Well, one idea I had, you haven't gotten back to me on this. One idea I had was that uh, we do have people pointing hash to us. So maybe we maybe we send these kind of bunky episodes to those guys so they can, if they like the content, you know, maybe the yeah. guy's sending hash. It's There's, just one, like a, you know, little idea like that. I listen to a couple podcasts that have members versions that I can, I, I log in and there's like extra member stuff. So I mean, yeah. We could definitely go that way eventually and give people special special feedback for yeah sending us hash. We'll get, we'll give you some special content. Totally, totally. I'm, set yeah. all that up in the infrastructure and all that. Yeah, I mean we only have a couple people doing it now, so it's pretty manageable to. Um, yeah, that would be pretty manageable. I feel like I don't know how to really show my appreciation for people who sent hash because that's such a it's such an act of generosity it is anyway. i agree it's interesting it's a yeah fi- finding the small amount of people out there that have hash power to begin with and then finding the small sliver of that of people that have hash power that are also willing to donate that hash power to to another entity that's not them. like that's that's awesome yeah yeah well, and so since we're acknowledging some listeners well I'm a, i want to shout out and one other guy you know i'm talking about well shout out vic because like in 24 hours, he listened to every one of our episodes. 
Maybe not everyone. I think he started with two because that's we're going to get into it. But I started on our Telegram this kind of thought thread I put together, and I traced it back to episode two. And he he just like okay, this sounds like Signal. I'm going to start here. Vic's awesome. And then, and then he starts. Um, yeah, he just starts posting. Okay, I'm on episode nine. Man, he starts commenting, and it's like in a 24 hour period. He just rolled it all. And um, dude, Vic is like one of these guys at our meetup that. Um, he's a knowledge just he's this guy that has forgotten more about Bitcoin lightning and all the stuff than any of us have learned yet and it's a good guy to have at your meetup and I have kind of a funny story just real quick that the first time I met him and you and the first time I showed up to the Central PA meetup um, the venue had no food right mm-hmm. and I've talked about in previous episodes that it was at this meetup that Vic's Vic was the guy that was like, you guys know you can get rugged with lightning. And he started kind of explaining how. And uh, we were at the meetup and there's no food. And my wife and my daughter are there as well because we were on our way to visit Penn State. And um, my wife just got fed up with not having food after the drive. <laughs> and so she just uh, door dashed a pizza or two, you know, a couple pizzas, right? So... Um, so here's the funny part, right? Because if you just know, if you, just imagine a guy who knows a lot about Bitcoin, right? He's, he's, and his, you know, he's kind of, he's a strong dev. And um, he turns to me and he goes, can I send you an invoice, you know, for the slice of pizza, right? And I, I, my, na- my naivete, and I was kind of rolling, you know, with my ego and all that. I was like, hey, man, how about instead you actually teach us some more about how lightning channels work and he like looked at me like dude it was just a slice of pizza <laughs> my time is worth more than that but uh, <laughs> and i, I kind of got it and i was like all right this dude's for real man i was like okay <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was pretty funny it made me laugh he definitely um, i think wins the wins the prize for having gone through i mean we what this is episode, gonna be episode 15 that we're recording right now and yep. if, i think if there if we had a prize for fastest consumer of our entire library i think i think vic gets it <laughs> Yeah, um, I'll just plug him real quick because he is um, his project is called Node Eyes, N O D E E Y E Z. Very active on Noster. It's like automated um, visualization. I think it, he'll probably hate how I contextualize this, but like it's from my eyes, it's like sort of automated uh, visualizations of block and lightning network information and it's been accepted in the atlanta tab conference and so he'll be he'll be displaying it there um pretty awesome stuff he's the guy that people in my life think of me as like the tech guy who they ask their tech questions to vic is the guy that i ask my tech questions to (laughs) vic is awesome just for everybody to contextualize how how awesome this dude is at our last meetup he um he met up with another dude at our meetup to who was selling a uh, Blockstream satellite kit, and this is just the kind of project that Vic <laughs> is going to just that he's that kind of person, that kind of technical ability. He's like, oh yeah, I'm just going to throw together the satellite, the Blockstream satellite, and pull my blocks from space. It's like that's badass. <laughs> he has that yeah. he has that ability. He can write code. He can get things done. And as somebody, yeah, so just two more things, right? One is if you really you want to get to my heart, just listen to the show. Like, and like, let me know that you're listening. Like, that's just like, that's the one way to really reach me on an intimate emotional level. You know, um, you could point hash and that definitely is like a logical 
that's a logical bitcoin is the money of enemies and you're pointing the scarcest resource energy and power and all that to the show and you're really supporting the show but also like you listen to the show and you kind of let us know that's that just moves me in a yeah, way that and really motiv- so i just wanted to say that that was one thing there was another thing and i get oh yeah the other thing was just like as somebody who's about to start a meetup and also shout out to chester who's um, really helping me get this phoenixville meetup off the ground i would you know i'm not asking vic to come because he comes from another he also comes from a great distance what i'm saying is it's great to have a guy like him at your meetup because you just that you know it's better you get like no coiners you get real beginners that come and you have somebody who can so assuredly answer a question for really basic questions that might be technical he's just a great dude to have there great resource that's Agreed. all i want to say he, yeah great resource to have people like that around it's like the like every time we go to a meetup and we have like new people there i'm always curious like okay what's what is this person's like profession because i mean as like the social layer of Bitcoin, like every Bitcoiner we add to it, they're adding their unique skills and uh, and resources to the local network. Um, for for example, I, I've been doing some HVAC work on my house recently and s- swapping out the existing thermostats and swapping around zones in my house and messing around with that. And I was looking for a HVAC technician who I could trust. And it's like, okay, what HVAC te- technician can you trust more than one who's a Bitcoiner? And just can like, Coincidentally, one of the new guys on our group who he listens to the podcast, shout out Chris. Hey man, you're awesome. It's like he uh, he was answering all my questions. He's an HVAC tech. He's he does plumbing. He does electricity. It's like all of that stuff. And I had a couple questions, and he was like he was talking me through capacitors and uh, the relay in my system. And yeah, so inevitably, when it gets down to I nuke my system so bad that I can't fix it, it's like sweet. We now have a Bitcoiner who can come fix it for me, and I can throw sats at him for the problem. It's like, yeah, every time we get somebody new into the, into the area, it's like, it's so awesome. They're adding so much to it. It's beautiful. And yeah, also shout out Chris. I met him on Orange Pill app and he lives pretty much in my town. Uh, so like Orange Pill app, so cool. I love pinging people at random. Every once in a while you get somebody like Chris who's like shows up and it's like, oh, all of a sudden, he messages me on Orange Pill Up. He's, again, he's like, dude, I just listened. I was just like mowing my grass, and I listened to or working on my deck, and I listened to four episodes. And I was like, wow, man, this is just so, like, incredible. He's like, you want me for coffee? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And then, you know, it's, these become legendary, like, three-hour meetings. And uh, Yeah, <laughs> right? right, inevitably. And then next thing you know, it's like, hey, you want to come, you know, you want to come to some meetups, <laughs> right? And uh, it's just beautiful, dude. It's beautiful to grow the community like that. Yeah, I'm thinking about like what kind of skills do we still need? We need we need like we need a lawyer. We need some kind of uh, like black pilled, orange pilled doctor type. We need we we could use like a general contractor who does like uh, paving and that kind of stuff. Like there there's certain like there areas. does exist. I mean, there does exist a lawyer, uh, right? Um, do we have a lawyer in the group? I was unaware of that. I don't know if he's technically in the group, but the leader. The, you know, the leader organizer of the Bitcoin, John. Oh, is, right, right. There's okay. a lawyer. Yeah, I'm sorry. He was, okay. he I'm, was I'm the de- lawyer for Bitco. There's definitely <laughs> lawyers like on in Bitcoin Twitter and space. Like I, I, I definitely yeah. know of lawyers in the space. But yeah, what I'm, we need a local one who, who's like, who I can shake his hand and be like, hey, hey, bro, hey brother, I, I got some questions about this. Uh, my, my neighbor here, what, what can I do about this? That's another great shout out to Matt Keita. 
and Bitcoin John, and he's now the lawyer for uh, Alan Farrington's project, Axiom Capital, which is something I do want to talk about one day here. One day. Well, let's talk about BlackRock. You, you mentioned yes. in the chat that you had st- stuff to say about BlackRock, and I immediately am having questions. So, Yes. So, all right, guys, here it is. Um, forgive me that I have a lot of, um, got a lot to say, and I only have one pipe to say it out of. So this may not, and I didn't write about this in advance. This is the kind of thing I would have written about. Like, I want to write about this. So it may not come out in the most organized, <laughs> in the most organized way. But here, let me just basically try to start this off. No, okay, number one, I've been thinking a lot about BlackRock, and um, we've talked on the show before. Like, maybe it's irrelevant to Bitcoiners, right? They're going to be buying Bitcoin, but they're going to be selling IOUs to institutions, and probably one day they'll all get rugged when Coinbase eventually loses all their Bitcoin and that's all well, that's all, that's all fine. And let's just kind of put that, let's park that in the background for a second and get into maybe a bigger picture, just a bigger picture set of thoughts. Um, In episode two, because I know you guys are scholars of this podcast. Well, some of you guys have literally recently listened to this last week, but in episode two, it was called Root Causes and Business Cat and I had a discussion about um, how I thought it was important to take a strong look at BlackRock's bailout last summer. And um, I thought the public of people who were discussing this were thinking about it mostly, they were thinking of BlackRock as an investment manager, but I have a different view of them. What are they? Because, well, they are an investment manager, what I'm saying. So my view of them is different because of my personal experience in the investment industry. My, so you guys know I'm an actuary. Um, I, I've spent 28 years working on understanding institutional liabilities and then how to invest a pot of money to match those liabilities. And at some point along that journey, we did something. I was part of a um, company that was pioneering something called liability-driven investing that is now known as LDI, but in the wake of the BlackRock bailout was known as leveraged. They became known as leveraged debt instruments. And we talked about in that episode how I think the idea of li- the li- idea of the liability disappeared. Mm. And so if all you do is look at the asset, which in the case of BlackRock and their pensions was long duration bonds. Um, I'm going to land this plane. Guys, relax. Okay. But uh, and, and so in the case of BlackRock, they own all these long, long duration bonds. People... The smart people in our space, like the Greg Fosses and the James Lavishes, were, would view, were viewing the, these assets as leverage plays because, and it's very sensible, yields are almost zero, so you would have to either go longer out in the curve and have a lot more notional to get the same kind of returns. But the reason why they're doing that was to manage these pensions, and I think that this gets lost. Okay. And theoretically, bonds are the safest asset. Well, that's correct, and that's so... Yes, thank you. You're definitely helping me co-pilot this thing because because so what that what that leads to is my I believe BlackRock after that incident, right? Uh, it's pretty embarrassing to need a bailout, right? Yes. 
I know there's no seemingly no consequence because they were allowed to run on with all their other initiatives being the most powerful investment manager in the world running their agendas, right? It's like ESG had no, wasn't even a speed bump for ESG, the fact that they got bailed out. But I believe internally that BlackRock took this fairly seriously and probably decided they didn't want to, they didn't, they didn't want to be exposed to another bailout again. Can I jump in with a question about bailouts? Yep. Okay. So they were bailed out last year, 2022? Yep. What, so was that was their bailout related to the bond market whenever they started raising interest rates on bonds? Is that is that when they were bailed out? Yep. Okay. And well, so it was mostly re- yeah. So it hit them first because they were uh, and by the way they weren't the only ones. So Schroeder's legal in general. There were other investment managers involved in the bailout, but BlackRock was by far the biggest and because they had of their exposure to the bond market when rates started going up. Yes, okay. particularly with long duration bonds. And leverage, so like talking thirty-year bonds. I mean, I don't call that leverage personally because if you're matching a thirty-year liability, you're just buying the bond that exists that ma- that could match that liability. Right. But if you don't understand that that's why they're doing that, then it looks like you're just really. It does look like you're leverage. You're doing it for leverage. Okay. Okay. So um, there were others involved, but I think everybody who understands what happened knows that the bailout wouldn't have happened if BlackRock wasn't involved. <laughs> so if it were just the Schroeders and the legals and generals and the other liability-driven investment managers out there, they would have, you know, they would have gotten, no, it, it would have run its course. Right. But BlackRock's involvement is Black really Rock why. BlackRock is too big to fail, so they had to be bailed out and be rescued. That's right. Okay. That's correct. That's correct. And then, so I wrote about this then, and I... The way, the way I characterized it then was the, um, there was a, the pension promise, especially in the UK, right? The UK is where this happened. The pension promise, I would say, may be the greatest network effect value of like the 20th century. And I think in the 21st century, too big to fail has overtaken that. And then we finally, because we finally saw it with, a pension bailout from a bank that can't afford to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that kind of set the stage. That was the discussion we had, and now we didn't know BlackRock was getting into the. We didn't know BlackRock was about to do a heel turn on Bitcoin. Okay, so we did not know this during that discussion, but now, in the last month and a half, we have seen BlackRock do an absolute one hundred and eighty on Bitcoin. What is that? So, so, and we're all like wondering, what the hell, right? What are they really doing? What is their game? What are they after? Okay, have they just capitulated and realized that you know what we all know about Bitcoin and that it's great and we should, you know, they want to they want to get in on it, but load their bags before, you know, before it's too late, before Sailor and all the plebs get on board first, and maybe there's a little bit of that. But um, the thing that got me, the thing that brought me back to August was the release or the leaking, I'll just say, of this report around the portfolio construction. The, the allocation report they leaked? Yes. Okay. And, and, and the reason why this thing struck me is mostly because, like, I'm, I'm in the, I've been in the business of portfolio construction for a long time. I've never seen a report be, even be published like that 
okay? It's not something people share. It's just not even, like, it's not even meaningful generally. What was in the report that was released? And it was basically, um, it was like a research, it was a bit like a research report from some analyst at BlackRock that said they're playing around with asset allocations and essentially if they, you know, they didn't really, I mean, they said a little bit about methodologies and whatnot, but basically that Bitcoin, if they considered it, could reasonably be up as high as 85% of, you know, allocation in a portfolio. Just shocking number. And I remember when it came out, I basically, I, I shit all over it in terms of its relevance, in terms of, I'm like, okay, whatever. I, mainly because I have done these types of constructions in the past. And if you do mean variance optimization and you have an asset class that has what's called a high sharp ratio, meaning has a high return relative to its volatility. In a, mo- in a portfolio construction model, it's going to just t- occupy so much uh, weight that essentially if you're BlackRock and you're actually making a recommendation, you will probably just make a rule to constrain it. You'll just say, oh my God, this thing is broken. It's always going to have a high number and I'll just constrain it to... Like hedge, the asset class hedge funds and the asset class private equity, when they were coming in, had these properties. And so they would be just constrained to like 5% or something like that because it's essentially these sharp ratios break the model. Um, so at the time, that was my view. But I did say, um, people who read our telegram know what I said was there's a reason why we were meant to see this. And I didn't know what it was, right? It just didn't, it, it didn't click at all. But I, I knew there was some reason we were seeing this. I, just, I couldn't put my finger on it. Yeah, internal BlackRock documents like this don't just get leaked. No, that's right. And so it turns out that this was done a year ago, right? This was done before the, pen, before the pension bailout. Before the bailout, right. Yeah, and I think, I guess I'm going to, this all... This kind of clicked for me listening to Foss on Safe's podcast. So that you guys should all listen to that. It's a really good discussion. Um, so it turns out, here's what I think, right? Let me try to now, let me try to now dump this out. I think that, first of all, I think that BlackRock, yes, I think they understand that Bitcoin is a big deal. Okay. You mean I think the, the, the C-suite understands? Yeah. I okay. think Larry Fink understands it, and I think that they're probably their CIO understands it. Okay. And I'm guessing it's fairly widespread. But I think the bigger thing they understand, and the reason why they care about Bitcoin to begin with, is because I believe that they completely understand that they do not want to be holding the big bond bag that they have. They're the largest bondholder in the world. Um, And I think they realize that that's the hot potato that they want off of their books. And that's that's not an easy switch to flip. If the Fed was to step in and like nationalize the bond market, would they just step in and own BlackRock then? They just would acquire, is that BlackRock trying to become less of a target of government acquisition? 
It's possible, but it's this is beyond. This goes beyond BlackRock's balance sheet, right? It goes to all of the companies that they. It's mostly the companies that they advise, right? So it's okay. You know, think of the tr- trillions of dollars of pension plans that park their money with BlackRock, essentially, right? So BlackRock's like trustee or you know investment manager, fiduciary. It's not as though the government nationalizes, yeah, nationalizes bonds and decide, and all of a sudden they own BlackRock. They would right. own all those pensions. They would they would be buying the newly issued ones, mm-hmm. but all the existing ones on the market would continue to be owned by their respective owners, unless yeah, there's so a, a systematic, real, fundamental change to the whole system. Yeah, okay. So I think principle number one here, okay, is that I think BlackRock understands that Bitcoin could be the risk-free asset building block of a of a portfolio so all all of this time now i'm going to go into another quick story around my professional work experience right so in in portfolio construction classically you start with what's called a risk-free asset which everybody assumes is the short term u.s bond right now the problem with that, right? There's two problems with U.S. bonds, right? One is counterparty risk. And now all of a sudden, there's drawdown, (laughs) drawdown risk, right? Like that category, 10-year bonds lost 20% in 2022, right? That's pretty massive drawdown for a risk-free asset, right? So if you look at, if you understand a little bit, even a little bit about Bitcoin, which most people in this industry understand a little bit about it, and most, I'm guessing, if you work on a BlackRock's desk, fixed income desk, you probably understand that Bitcoin has no counterparty risk. And you may have been tempted to toy around with it in your models, but you might have said, well, but nobody will accept Bitcoin as a risk-free asset because it can, you know, you could have a drawdown of 70, 80% in a year, right? Mm-hmm. Um so typical portfolio construction man typical portfolio construction uses this short-term bond as a risk-free asset. If you're in the liability driven game, so this is what I discovered in 2004. I didn't do it alone. I obviously me I and my team discovered this that if you use the long bond as the risk-free asset, all of the important metrics and liabilities of your pension plan go cl- practically I'm not going to say they go to zero, but it becomes very clear that that, it, that is the correct risk-free asset for a pension. A long-duration bond becomes the correct risk-free asset over a short-duration bond. Now, 30-year bonds and those, these funds, they lost. They had a drawdown of like 60% in 2022, right? So now Bitcoin's drawdown isn't looking so bad against what they're already using as a risk-free rate, the potential drawdown, except you remove counterparty credit risk. Which is a massive, massive gain in terms of like underlying risk. That's right. And it's you also remove duration risk, frankly, yeah. right? right? I mean, you, you know. You just have to make so, a mental switch of your unit of account is sats versus dollars. Correct. Now, duration risk in a pension is... That's the reason why you use the long bond. See, what nobody's talking about, really, I mean, nobody should talk about it, but the fact is the pension liabilities 
decreased in value just like the bonds did. It's just that nobody's making margin, you know, nobody's making calls on, you know, you're not using your pensions collateral. You're not, you're not relying on the value of the liability, right? you know, to support all of these other operations and all these other debts and financializations that banks and investors have. But the fact is, so you don't, the whole point of using long bonds is to remove duration risk. But with Bitcoin, you don't have duration risk. You don't have counterparty credit risk. You have a large drawdown. But now, you know what? It looks, the reality is you have a large drawdown with long bonds too. So if you look at this strictly from a liability-driven perspective, it's actually quite rational and sober to say, what if I kick out bonds in my model and put in Bitcoin, right? You could model Bitcoin. You know, it has probably has a one-year vol of like 80, right? And, um, you know, it's got a return of, I mean, this is, it's actually absurd to model it, to be honest, right? It's absurd right. As, to even, as you push out the, the horizon on Bitcoin, it just continues to be more up and to the right as opposed yeah. to, yeah. I go back to this. I still think it's absurd to do this type of modeling, but what it means, what I believe, so but I'm doing it to, so that I can go back in time and try to get into the heads of these people, right? And I think it's really sens- sensible, Occam's razor almost like, to say, Matt, I think, they, I think they've had enough with bonds. They don't, they're worried about holding all these bonds now, right? They're worried about m- potential massive rate rises over the next 10 years, which, right, just in terms of inflation expectations, right, and knowing what kind of money printing will be required to keep things going, I'd be worried. It feels like a lot of different areas of the world are reaching critical mass simultaneously, and, it, like, the con- the idea that the world is waking up to the monopoly money status of the dollar, I mean, that makes sense that people in Black, I mean, BlackRock is made up of people. So, like, if if that is slowly making its way through the employees of BlackRock, at some point there's going to reach a 51% moment when everybody looks around and realizes, well, and, and says, like, why are we continuing to try to play the same game that was pl- been played for the past 50 years when we all know there's a new game in town? And it, like, Bitcoin, I mean, 85% allocation to Bitcoin to me as a, as a Bitcoiner is like, oh, that's only 85%? We can go higher than that. Like you, you want anything yeah. that's not Bitcoin? I don't. I only want Bitcoin. No, we won't see eighty-five percent allocations in like our working lifetimes. I'm pretty sure about that. But here's how it trickles in. Okay, first, so I, before we even get into that, it is. So I'll just say, looking at BlackRock's behavior, to me, I can trace it back and say it actually makes sense that they have concluded two things. They've concluded that bonds are garbage and they don't want it. They don't want to be in there. So we've and now entered bi- a transitory period and from the Bitcoin, bonds to Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin is a suitable, potentially suitable replacement. And they want to clear the deck to be able to make that decision if and when they they're, they exceed their confidence level in, the, in that being the case. I guess that's what FOSS has been talking about for a while now, right? That Bitcoin is going to replace the bond market. FOSS and... So FOSS has been talking about it for a while. SAFE has been talking about it for a while. And they got them talking about it together is what clicked me. <laughs> right. And now you're looking, for, you're looking for confirmation out in the world. And, you, and so you're reading as the moves that BlackRock has been making for the past 24 months. 
It's like you're yeah. now starting to like see see the the meaning behind the chaos. It's I had a Kaiser Soze moment, right? If that reference means anything, you know, when he realizes, you know, when the detective realizes he's been interviewing him the whole time, he sees that he's been dropping the hints the whole the movie The Usual Suspects, mm-hmm. right? Spoiler alert: the movie's twenty years old, so spoiler alert. But a suspect is in custody. And he is basically confessing to the whole thing without talking about it. And it's not until he gets released that the guy interrogating him actually realized that it was him. And um, so BlackRock is doing I, these things in the open right now. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, be, I believe I believe this to be the case. And so now, so, so let's let's say that's true, right? Let's say that BlackRock is some percent confident. Let's say they're twenty percent confident that Bitcoin could replace bonds in portfolios right um it would make sense to me that they would do a complete heel turn and just start bulldozing the trees that are in the way and clear the deck right oh what i have to i'm you know coin this this fucking company that's gonna supposed to hold all the keys is running some shitcoin casino let me call gary again let me let, let me get that shit fixed right let's let's handle the securities issues Right. Let's handle everything that human beings currently are talking about that are in the way. What's that guy who sniffles a lot and owns a lot of Bitcoin? Sailor? Yeah. Yeah. Let me hear what he's saying. Let's, let me figure out what he has going on. Right. Um, anyway, so I, it makes sense. They're going to clear the deck. Now, how might it look? Right. How do you get from, say, 0% allocation to Bitcoin to 1% allocation to Bitcoin? And I'm going to tell you the answer right now. The answer is basically, I'm not saying BlackRock has the power to do this, but I'm not saying they don't. But the answer will be Bitcoin will be added to the S&P. XBT, UST, USD will be added as a name. And their market cap will be part of, it'll just be as its own entity. It's just not, maybe not as a security. And it may may not happen that fast. What might happen will be BlackRock will offer enhanced S&P futures, right? Because it'll maybe take 99% of an S&P future and throw 1% of their ETF, right? Okay. So BlackRock will start offering enhanced S&P, which is just going to contain Bitcoin, right? And now Larry Fink's going to be like the Jack Mahlers of institutional investments where they don't even know they're using the technology, they're actually not, uh, but <laughs> they don't, right, because they're only using IOUs. But they really, they're using NGU in the basic technology, assuming they don't get rugged, guys, right? But that's it's another conversation that we've already had. Um, I believe BlackRock will start bleeding it into their equity portfolio, right? So, you know, a 1% allocation in an equity portfolio is 0.6 because usually the 60% equities, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think they're really, once once they start telling people, ha you've been drugged. I've been feeding you Bitcoin this whole time. <laughs> um, by the way, if we, let's start kicking, let's start kicking some of these bonds out, right? <clears throat> and um, I think that's how it rolls out. And I, I think it's very conceivable that Bitcoin could be... If Bitcoin ends up somehow as a member of the S&P 500, why? I mean, I'd say why not, right? Why can't that happen? But 
Is the S and P the S and P five hundred is an index of companies, right? Yep. So you like, are there any other commodities currently in the S and P five hundred? So this would be like the uh, first energy commodity. I will say this: I'm not an expert on the history of the S and P. Yeah. How, how frequently does this does Standard and Poor change their change like their bag, their index? Is it like yearly they the change last, it? It's not exactly yearly. The last big change was adding Tesla. Okay, I remember that that news headline when that when they did that. Okay, so but, I have multiple questions now from this from your whole. Right. Okay, so BlackRock adding Bitcoin into their into their proprietary mix. How long can Bitcoin operate as like a life support system for the fiat system before it just consumes it? Like, are we uh-huh. are we talking like a 20-year horizon, a 50-year horizon? It really depends on how quickly this gets converted. So here's the big point that Foss and Safe made on their podcast. And this is like, uh, this is the gold right here. The Fiat Ponzi gets funded, the way they get funded, typically, is that when markets go to shit, there's something called a flight to quality where everybody rushes into bonds. Right. Okay. So capital really does get allocated into bonds right before things get really bad. And this is, a, you know, happens in all the business cycles, right? Um, Bitcoin or not, right, last year's drawdown sent a message to the markets that bonds are not a safe haven, okay? So Bitcoin or not, this is going to start to subside. The question is where are they going to put their money, right? Yeah, like who's so, – so as BlackRock – is exiting the bond market like who's gonna replace blackrock at the trader window at the like are, are you like oh mom, i'll mom say the dumb- retail traders are just gonna buy up all those nope. bonds like the feds it's are gonna the, like where's those where's that going i'm gonna tell you the answer to that question um it's gonna be the look this is the the greater fool theory okay they're definitely in play for bonds so i work for a large insurance company and I can tell you almost certainly, unless BlackRock puts a gun <laughs> to our heads, we will we will buy those bonds. Insurance companies, and then this uh, this goes back to episode two again because um, look at the role that insurance company played being the greater fool in the two thousand eight crisis. Okay, there's no way two thousand eight crisis would have been as big as it was without insurance companies thinking they were the smartest guys in the room. Um, so the answer is there are institutions that will continue to want, um, you know, you're going to have countries like Japan still wanting, still hanging on to yield curve control, right? Mm -hmm. There's still like, which I guess, you know, it's funny since this past week, they just showed the world they can't. They, they, they can't continue to do this any longer. Right. They, the, the Bank of Japan had previously tried to step away from yield curve control to showcase the health of their economy, and bonds started ripping, and they had to step back in yet yeah, this past week with an unscheduled bond purchase program to try to get it back under control. Yeah. What you're pointing out to me right now is that this actually might take – this might happen faster than we think because BlackRock might need – you know, the greater fool theory is only going to be valid for so long. Right. Like, how quickly does a house of cards fall down? It's like that, those first couple, like, as, like, you're eating into the side of the house, then all of a sudden, it's like, it's an exponential curve. You get into the vertical, and it's just over. Yeah. So, again, 
Who knows the answer to that question? I don't. I would say it's possible this could take decades, right? If we're lucky. I mean, I, I still think it's going to take decades for the U.S. you know, U.S. bond to really get unpegged as to lose for the public to lose confidence and all that. People who know what they're doing will start to get out, right? Yeah. And um, like I said, Bitcoin or not, it's no longer a safe haven. And so the question is, what is a safe haven? And the only thing is cash, which if you're, you know, if you understand money printing, then it's obviously that's that's even worse. Right. So everybody is trying to solve a problem. Everyone's trying to kind of solve the same problem right now. Not everybody is going to figure out that Bitcoin could be that answer. But I think BlackRock has come to that conclusion. That's interesting. I mean, like. It makes sense. I mean, Black BlackRock didn't get to the position where they're at by being stupid. Like they, they did. They like the people that are in charge of these mo- these money future markets. It's like yeah, they didn't get where they're at by not understanding the game they're playing. Yeah, I'd be careful with that assumption. <laughs> okay. Right, right. There's plenty. But, of sp- there's always space for stupidity. Even though I agree with you, I would be very careful. I. I, I it's just not true. The, and I would just say that these people did get where they're at by having a money printer, right? Right. And that really is um, it, BlackRock doesn't have to be competent, right? But it it just I'm just looking at the moves that they've made in the last year. It looks like there's at least some degree of competence in understanding Bitcoin enough that they are not at a zero percent probability of. Um, Looking at it as a risk-free asset. What would be the next step? So assuming that, that BlackRock C-Suite has been orange-pilled and they see the writing on the wall with the bond market and the dollar. They're black-pilled um, on bonds. That's the bottom line is they're, they're really black-pilled on bonds. And they, you know, there's an orange seed, <laughs> as we yeah. talked about last week, right? They got the black pill with the orange seed. And it's like, it's just very simple. It's like we have a problem. Everyone in the world has the, knows they have a problem with bonds. Everyone in the world knows this. But not everybody – there's not a good solution, really, right? And if, you, if you're entrenched in fiat, Bitcoin's not the best solution. But if you can figure out – if you think you are a rule maker <laughs> and you can find your way out of, that, out of that trap, right? And I think if BlackRock has convinced the world that ESG is a good idea, I think they believe they can convince the world that Bitcoin works in these portfolios. Um, so what would the next know, steps be? So they're, you, you, you anticipate Bitcoin being incorporated into S&P 500. Do you think BlackRock is going to be the lead in pushing that? I do. I think BlackRock is going to have such a successful ETF that is a – they're going to have a bunch of ETFs that are combo. They will be called enhanced enhanced S&P. Right, the enhanced S&P. So what, yeah, what kind of, what kind of back horizon to the, would you put in that? Like yeah, 12 so months? By the way, yeah, I would. Like that back, soon. Listen, well, okay. listen, you go back to um, this is very interesting. I just had this thought, but like you go back to the 70s and the BlackRock of the 70s was PIMCO. You ever heard of PIMCO? Uh, I have not. I don't think so I have. PIMCO was run by a guy named Bill Gross and they were the biggest bond they were the biggest bond players that there were and they um, in the 70s they created this product called Stocks Plus which was 
basically an S&P futures contract with something called Portable Alpha, which was basically they just ran kind of like an active bond portfolio and would port those returns onto an S&P. So it made it, you know, this is always, I mean, this has always been sort of the holy grail of what people want is like they want to beat the market, right? They want to beat the S&P, right? Now, liability-driven investors will say, who cares if you beat the S&P? If the S&P goes down by 40% and you did 39%, your pension is still underwater. So mm. this is moronic. This is a moronic idea, right? You can't run outrun the other guy, right? And it's like, okay, well, okay, if I don't care about the S&P, then what do I care about? What you care about is meeting the liability. So you're, you're matching a very long bond, okay? This is now I'm going to sound like Foss here, right? But the way to match, you know, the best way to match that long bond is... Using Bitcoin, Bitcoin has un, you know, getting technical here, but it really has an unlimited what's called theta. It has an unlimited theta in um, option terms is the time decay. Bitcoin's value doesn't decay over time, right? One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, That's right? Because of its scarcity, because I mean, you could say it decays by the inflation rate, which is not is sub gold now, right? But it effectively has no no time decay, right? Yeah, um, it costs nothing to hold, right? You stick we, it in a we can stick it in a cold card. <laughs> we can predict the inflation rate out to a thousand years from now, whereas you can't do that with other things. Correct, and it's practically zero. Yeah, right. Uh, so this is, this, by the way, this doesn't mean BlackRock isn't demonic and isn't maybe doing this for demonic purposes. Okay, <laughs> so so let's all like. You know, keep our seatbelts on here. I mean, right? This, this not- falls into the same category as me talking about like things that Bitcoiners can learn from three-letter agencies. Like, yeah, BlackRock. BlackRock is not made up of the best quality humans that are on the planet, but at the same time, I mean, they've existed for how long? They've been this successful. There's definitely like things that signal that we can pull out of it as Bitcoiners. So yeah, you digging through the weeds and coming away with this, like this, this is super useful and actionable information as a Bitcoiner seeing that, okay, well, yeah, the, like we've been, the Bitcoiners have been saying that institutional money is coming for what, five, six years at this point. It's kind of a meme, but it's like, okay, now you are putting the, like posting the tea leaves together and like, like, oh yeah, institution money is here. It's not just coming, it's here and here's their playbook. Yeah, and I just, let me make a quick statement here. Like, I have really, I have a bad taste in my mouth from the influencers that try to really hopium up the institutional money. I feel like it's just, you know, I've always, it's always rubbed me the wrong way, right? This is why I have, I have, I love guys like Foss and like I can't stand them at the same time, right? <laughs> because it's, you know, it's hard. It's like the Schrodinger's rule of influencers and it's like, yes, I get it. Like sometimes they're trying to just do their thing, right? Um, I think in some ways it's wrong to to say like how would you feel if tomorrow morning you woke up and Facebook put a billion dollars of Bitcoin on their balance sheet? I mean I think that is a little wrongheaded, even though it's the right it's a good question to ask, right? But through the lens of an influencer, it kind of rubs me badly. I I, I definitely agree. I mean talking okay. about the infl- or the institutional money at all. I mean is talking about like the dollar value of Bitcoin. And like, while everybody like wants to and doesn't want to talk about the price, the dollar value of Bitcoin. It's like you were talking about the uh, guy walking to the bathroom and it's like, what's the price of Bitcoin? It's like, doesn't matter. 
That's right. It's like, it's everybody wants to talk about the price, but at the same time, the price is the most uninteresting part of Bitcoin. I guess it's a, so from like, I don't think I'm an influencer. I don't look at myself that way. And we have, you know, I'm, we're both tickled to have 20 people listening to our podcast and it following really awesome. the Twitter accounts. Beautiful, right? And so from that perspective, I do think, though, the underlying message here, it's not, it's not hopium. It's scarium in a little bit. It's like, these fuckers are coming. The enemies are at the gate. Um, stack while you can. Stay humble. <laughs> right? Yeah. But like stack while you can because I do, I mean, whether you realize it or not, the, these fuckers are figuring out, are going to begin to figure this out. And the window for the plebs to front run them. It's closing. Not, you know, yeah. and I don't, like I, it's impossible for me to say that without having that dark pit in my stomach that sounds like the influencers that say shit like that but like that would be my most constructive takeaway of this insight for now until i you know until i put some other pieces together there's gonna come a time sooner than i think even i am ready for or mentally prepared for that you're just not going to be able to buy bitcoin like you're you're going to go to strike you're going to go to cash app you're going to go to the exchanges and there's just going to be none there um they'll they'll probably be happy to sell you like the blackrock um etf that has a component of bitcoin like the iou in it um but actually for finding actual sats that you can then like pull off onto your node via the lightning network like that day is closed like we're we're Bitcoiners are building this parallel society to to fiat culture right now, and right now there's still quite a few bridges between the two. But like as those bridges start collapsing, and you're it's like, oh, you want Sats? Well, you're gonna have to make yourself useful, useful enough to a person who has Sats that they'll be willing to exchange some of them to you for your work. And like right right now, you can just dump monopoly like, like BlackRock. BlackRock has positioned themselves where they are because they have act- the Cantillon effect. Um, they have access to the money printers. And so for a while, they're going to be able to just print money and buy Bitcoin. But once that Bitcoin's gone, I mean, my Bitcoin ain't going into the exchanges. Once they, once they buy up the available supply of what um, big um, corporate level miners have to dump to pay their electricity bills currently, it's like once that's gone, it's not coming back. It's, it's just going to be gone. Yeah, beautiful. And I, I was running this idea by a coworker, and conclusion was... By the time anybody, any ordinary people are able to kind of buy ETFs from BlackRock, right? I think the price is going to be so out of reach. You won't be able to buy Bitcoin. It kind of makes me think of a kind of neo-feudalism. So if we, if we go to Mars, I mean, like the feudal, the feudal lords are going to be, be the people that own the, the dome. Oh, you want to live in my radiation dome? Okay, well, you follow my rules. I'm in charge. Um, you pay you pay me royalties. You pay me fee, whatever taxes, fees, whatever you want to call it. But like here here on Earth, I mean, a similar. Th- I, I feel like if what we're talking about does come to pass, I mean, it's like, oh well, where's the Bitcoin? Oh well, that guy who lives in the castle up on the hill over there, he has the Bitcoin. It's like you're like, are you gonna go be part of his feudal kingdom and like go go be part of his citadel? Like, are you gonna go I, work yeah. and like bring prosper and beneficial and happiness to the citadel, or are you going to prop up? the state which is continuing to rob you yeah i think the thing you're mentioning this idea this whole the reality and the capitulation to the scarcity i don't think blackrock has any idea like i don't think these guys have any clue no or have thought through it for a second i mean their entire career has taught that has reinforced the idea that we can buy our way out of any situation 
That's right. And I think they still think that. And, you know, I can only hope, you know, so we had an episode that didn't, didn't publish because of sound issues. But like, I talked about, I might think that their ETF is better fiat under certain conditions. And one of them was if there's companies and protocols like what AnchorWatch does in place where they're using, they develop mini script. Um, they've developed better protocols for custody, for an institution of custody, Bitcoin. So if, assuming there's some assurance or some confidence that Coinbase isn't just going to lose these keys, which I don't have, honestly. After Prime Trust, it's going to happen. Right? Right. Inevitably, <laughs> it's going to happen. Whether it's like China, like doing a physical invasion, marching in and like taking the coins, like the, these those idiots, coins will never yeah. remain with Coinbase forever on a long it, enough time scale. Totally. So like, <laughs> yeah. So like, but there are interventions in the works. There are companies that are creating protocols for institutions, right? There's on company like on ramp. There's Unchained, mm-hmm. right? So the you know, it's possible that that the field could evolve so that I might consider this good fiat, right, or better fiat, but. You know, hmm. aside, any you know, short of that, I, I really do, I really do think that there will be, yeah, that that you know, the scarcity thing is going to come into play, and then when they lose their coins, it's going to get, it's going to get, and they realize they can't just print the money to reimburse everybody. I guess right. if I have to, if I had to hold a fiat, I mean, a fiat that is partially backed by Bitcoin is is better than a fiat that's backed by. A bond market and just government guarantees um yeah but even sure. like yeah so i mean i guess that's but i mean that's kind of opening the door to like a private it's like i, I can't imagine the dollar is ever going to be backed by bitcoin unless there's some kind of radical change but even even the radical change like i don't think a radical change is coming i think collapse is coming so like the dollar is never going to be backed by bitcoin but like a blackrock etf share that has a partial allocation into bitcoin like oh that's immediately a slightly safer place to park your value than, than the dollar. It's like not that I yeah. would I would rather own my own sats, but like if I remove the sats from my ability to get them, it's like okay, well I'm gonna get the thing that's kind of IOU'd to Bitcoin and hope I don't get rugged. I think Luna, Luna is a great example of what happens in a system where um, you try to back a dollar with Bitcoin. True. That's that's a, that's a. Inevitably, as Black, if BlackRock, when they roll out this product, this S and P Plus product, whatever they're planning to do with it, it's like yeah, eventually, even BlackRock. I mean, you're going to operate on Bitcoin. Well, you're going to have to operate on a non-fractional reserve basis. Or yeah, what happened to Luna is going to happen to you. What happened to Celsius is going to happen to you. And like that, BlackRock just because yeah. they have proximity but to the money. Look at the printers, monetary. But if you look at the monetary policy of Luna, like to try to maintain that peg, that's really what will happen, right? That's essentially what mm. what all of um, pretty much every entity that's tried to do it. You inevitably just have to print infinite money to maintain you have to start the peg cheating. at some point. At some point in time, right? So I think this idea of dollar backed <laughs> dollar backed Bitcoin is totally fucked. Yeah, um, I think there's no signal there. Um, if you have to. Um, Look, if your company, put it this way, if you work for a company and you do have a pension, um, I think your chances of, 
at least getting paid your worthless inflated dollars 20 years from now are better with BlackRock right now than in the U.S. bond market. Yeah, I definitely agree. Right, and then again... What a shocking thing to say, though, to say that that both of us agree that BlackRock is probably going to outlaw outlast the federal government is that's what we're saying right now that the financially at least um it's again dude if you figure out if you hit your wagon of bitcoin right it's the only way look when i when i was really knee deep in pensions in the early 2000s we were terminating pension plans left and right and um you know the idea if you're trying to terminate the plan believe it or not the equity the allocation they wanted and what the industry accepted was highest risk possible because you want to close the gap and be able to term you can't you have to be funded to terminate a plan right you got to fully fund the plan and so you know you're not going to do that by getting bond coupons at which at the time were uh, considered all-time lows five percent bond coupons which we have now and everyone's shitting shitting themselves over it right but at the time, getting 5% bond coupons wasn't going to get the job done, right? It's, again, a very high time preference. And I think what BlackRock is doing is high is very high time preference, but it's the competent act of a high time preference as opposed to um, what most companies are doing, which is stick to what they know, which is the U.S. bonds. 